open up to Matthew chapter 12. I'm glad to be able to worship with you, brothers and sisters, this morning, and I'm glad to be in this passage of Scripture uh, this morning um, for you guys joining us online, too. I know there's a few of you. I'd encourage you to share, and maybe you guys could share this message when you get home on Facebook or something. Um, it's one of those that uh, passages that you get a lot of questions about. We're going to be going through and considering the unforgivable sin this morning, but there's a lot of context around those scriptures and why Jesus said what he said. And I think as we look at the context this morning, as we walk through this, God is going to bring some clarity and answer a lot of questions for us, uh, which I always appreciate. Um, my wife told me not to use an analogy, but she is gone. Uh, Uriah is playing violin at another church this morning, so uh, she's not here. But I want to talk about the cow for a second before we jump into the Word of God here. Uh, being in Wisconsin, uh, we're known for our cheese. We have a lot of dairy farms around the area. We are so thankful for Culver's and other things. Um, but the milk cow, um, you guys know that it's not more considerate to milk or less? They don't really care. You see, guys, the only thing that happens is the less that is demanded of her, the less she provides. So the more milk you take, more is actually produced. I think that's also true in the Christian life. If you only turn to God when in need, you're going to miss the real joy that flows from that daily relationship, the Holy Spirit pouring into you and out of you onto others. Uh, I see a neat analogy there. Um, yeah, I wish I could have come up some, something better than a cow, but I just want to encourage you guys on those lines as believers today. So let's pray, because uh, we definitely need him today. So Father, before we jump into this passage, in Matthew, we just cry out to you once again. We need you. Uh, we want more of you, Jesus. Lord, you are so big and so good. Your ways are so beyond ours. You're much wiser. And you know what my brothers and sisters need this day. God, we know it's you. So we're looking to you. We pray blessing upon the teaching of your word this morning. Uh, please speak through me. I know these guys don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from you. God, you are the, the source, Jesus. You're it. Uh, we're looking to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. We're going to be considering, if you look at your handouts, the source. You know, the question is, where did Jesus get his power? Well, this is what's being disputed before us this morning in this passage. You see, we have these Pharisees. They heard the crowd speaking of Jesus in these messianic terms as being the son of David, and they started tripping. So they did everything they could in this attempt to discredit the things Jesus was saying and really who he was. Um, so in return, Jesus accuses them of committing the unpardonable sin. So far, we have these Pharisees. They were willing to use a man um, with a withered hand to try to trap Jesus. We saw that last week. They were totally unconcerned 
with the tragedy this man had been going through, his feelings. But Jesus' response was really affirming God's validation of individuals. Hey, God cares for all people, not just sheep. (laughs) So he showed their really hard-heartedness for what it really was. So in their pursuit of self-righteousness, these Pharisees had lost deep concern for others uh, that really characterizes our God, because God does care. Uh, Their religious zeal led them to become very ungodly persons. And some of the most ungodly people we may know in this life might be very religious people. Um, And that's where the Pharisees were at. So with their ungodliness clearly revealed in contrast really to Jesus as our Lord's compassion and his love, the Pharisees, they have no choice here. See, they had to either face their sinfulness and abandon their legalistic upbringing, everything they know in, in their search for righteousness and what to do and what it had produced, or to strike out the one who pierced their pretensions and revealed their lack of love. And guess what they chose to do, guys? Let's attack Jesus. In other words, they struck out. Look at that whiff. That's what religion looks like, guys. You try your best, you're never going to hit it. Okay, you're never going to get it. So this morning I want to consider with you guys, oh, not that one yet, the finger of God. Let's take a look at verse 22 here in Matthew chapter 12. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute. And he healed him, so the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or... How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? So Beelzebul, okay, it's a Philistine deity. Who are they talking about, okay? Well, it's Baal, uh, Baal the prince, okay? He was the ruler of the demons. Beelzebul is known as the lord of the flies, Beelzebub is the lord of the house. That would be a better translation here, especially in the context of what Jesus is saying. I want us to take a look back to 2 Kings. There's an Old Testament story. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 1, we're going to just pick it up there. It'll speak a little bit into Beelzebub and give us a little bit of background of what these Pharisees were thinking and why Jesus had to address this. So 2 Kings chapter 1, we're told that Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. 
Now in verse 2, we see Ahaziah, he fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria, and he was injured. So he sent messengers, and he said, go inquire of who? The Lord God Almighty, because he's the only one that really knows what's going on, right? No! Go to the prince of the demons, Beelzebub, okay? The God of Ekron whether I shall recover from this injury. Go ask him if I'm going to be healed. Let's look to Beelzebub to see if I'm going to be healed or not. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, arise, go up, meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, it is because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. I just want to pause. We'll look at verse 4 and 9 in a second. Do you guys see this happening today? Because there is no God in America. We will go and inquire here and there and everywhere else. You betcha. I love Google. It helps me study. It helps me with a lot of things I don't know because there's a lot of things I don't know. But I also know the truth of God's word and that it is truth. And I'm just amazed at how many ideas and how many things in our searches come up before there's any mention of what God may say to that issue. Everyone else has an opinion. Everybody else wants all those other opinions except for what God has. Anyways, just a side thought. God forgive us. He is merciful, isn't he? Look at verse 4. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from your bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? And then in verse six, so they said to him, a man came to meet us. And he said to us, go and return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub? the God of Ekron. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So King Ahab died. His son comes on the seat as I succeeds, falls through this lattice thing. I would have loved to see that. Don't you guys read the Bible? You're just like, that would be cool to see. <laughs> Seeing this king, you know, fall off his balcony or whatever. These messengers he sends out to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, if he's going to recover or not. But Elijah gives them his faith. There's actually three groups, if you read on, of 50 guys that come you know, to uh, ask to seek Beelzebub, okay, because he was accredited with these healing powers. It's just so crazy what these guys are doing. They're not willing to turn to the living God. And here, the Pharisees are doing the exact same thing in the Gospel of Matthew with Jesus. Okay, the Pharisees actually just want to accuse Jesus under their breath of running with the devil. You know, you guys ever hear that song by Van Halen? Yeah, they recorded that when I was born back in 77. They're still running with the devil. You guys ever pray for them? Every time I'm in a, you know, a store or something and I hear that song, I'm like, God, save those guys, you know? And that's the thing that's sad. There's a lot of people running with the devil today. They would just rather do that than come to Jesus and accept who he is and <laughs> who he needs to be in our lives. So let's take a look at uh, verse 28. It talks about... Uh, the Spirit of God, okay? We're back in Matthew now. The Spirit of God. Uh, you guys can jot down Luke chapter 11, verse 20. 
Luke actually uses the finger of God in the same story. I think that's pretty cool to think about. So by using this synonymous term here, Jesus says he is in league with the Holy Spirit of God. That is what he's implying to these Pharisees. You guys get what I'm saying? You get what's going on? Do you see? Okay, so here, the finger of God in Scripture really is a direct and concrete intervention of God into our lives. Psalm 8, verse 3 says that God, when it came to the work of creation, even the heavens, he did that work with what? His finger, right? The tablets there in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. Okay? The law was given. And what was it that wrote into that rock, those tablets? It was the finger of God. You guys remember, and I love to see it. Here's another one of those scenes in the Bible. Like, wish I could see that happen. Remember, um, what was his name? Belshazzar. Um, he was having a great feast there in Babylon. And a hand just appears, and there's writing, mini, mini, tuckle you farsin. His hand just starts writing on the wall, and we're told that he peed his pants. Like, it would have been an awesome scene to take in there. But wouldn't that be so cool just to see the hand of God appear and begin to say, hey, you've been found wanting, man. Your days are numbered. It's over, buddy. <laughs> um, then we have, of course, Jesus, God. You remember there in John chapter 8, we all love the story of the woman being caught in adultery. We don't love that she was in that type of lifestyle, but we love how Jesus came and forgave her, set her free, go sin no more. But you remember what he did to the accusers? He didn't even respond. Hey, we caught this woman in the very act. What does he do? God kneels down and his finger begins to write in the dirt. I've often wondered, that's another scene I'd love to be able to take in. What was he writing? Was he laying down the different sins of the Pharisees, the accusers there? of where they fell short, of their sin. You, you know, if you're without sin, cast a stone. None of them, none of us are. Jesus is the only one that could have. And did he? No. I desire mercy. That's the heart of our God. He came to love, to set us free from sin. So in then Luke's account, Jesus casts out demons with the finger of God. So it's really the source. You guys understand the power is of God. It is Him. So if we consider verse 29, Christ's final argument here is that He could never cast out demons unless first He had overcome the leader, Satan. And didn't we study Matthew chapter 4? Yeah, He kicked His butt. <laughs> How? You know? I mean, Jesus could have been just like, you're done, Satan, right there. You're just finished. I annihilate you. You're just gone or send him to hell earlier. I don't know. You know, he could have done that if he wanted, but he stood in the truth of God's word. So therefore, one stronger than Satan must be reclaiming his property. So let's get to the root here, the root of the fruits, because this is really where Jesus brings us home and tries to open these guys' eyes. Let's take a look at verse 30 back in Matthew chapter 12. It says, he who is not with me is against me. Underline that in your Bible if it isn't. Well, they're a good person. They're just not religious. You know, what's God going to do? 
What about those good people out there, those religious people that aren't with Jesus? The point is, if you're not with him, you're against him. That's what the Bible says. That's pretty black and white, pretty clear. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore, verse 31, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, guys, will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers? Wait, is this Jesus speaking? Come on, Jesus doesn't offend people. He doesn't talk like that. <clears throat> I love Jesus. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, you religious dudes, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I hope you have that underlined too. So, a treasure, verse 30 or verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Is Jesus messing around here? Nuh-uh. He's getting right down to it. He's trying to open these guys' understanding. Do you see what's going on? Do you see where your heart is at? What fruit you're actually bearing? See, in verse 31, the claim that Jesus' power comes from Satan rather than the Holy Spirit's the whole issue here. It's a blatant denial of the work and the power of God himself. That's what these religious guys were doing. So, you know, it constitutes blasphemy, and results in their condemnation. Forgiveness will be withheld because they refuse to acknowledge that Jesus' power came from the Spirit of God. Okay? So in doing so, they refuse to believe in the forgiver, the only one who produces forgiveness for them. We reject forgiveness. And that's what everyone is doing when they reject Jesus Christ. I don't want to be forgiven. Great. That's your choice. Stand condemned. Stand judged. That's it, guys. So verse 32, then, Jesus understands how a person might not understand who he is, even though his works make it, uh, make it clear, okay? His identity very clear. So however, God's work through the Spirit, it is clear. It is evident, is what Jesus is saying. One who speaks against it does so knowingly. Doesn't the Holy Spirit convict the world of truth, of righteousness today? Absolutely. And there are people that reject that. Okay? I don't want to think about me being sinful. Okay? I don't want to think about that because that means I need a Savior then. That means I need Jesus then. And people don't want that. So such an act prevents forgiveness. So get what it's, what's going on here. To blaspheme or to speak against the Son of Man means, and it seems here, to be to reject the claims of Jesus. Paul, did he blaspheme Jesus? 
Absolutely, right? He blasphemed the Son of Man prior to that Damascus Road experience. He would have blasphemed the Spirit if he had rejected that Damascus Road experience. You guys see that? And that would have been unforgivable. So, what is this unpardonable sin? It really is a sin of the heart, not of the lips. That is what 34 and 35 here is telling us. So, brood of vipers, he tells them, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, you guys see that? It's a heart issue that's going on here. That's why people harden their hearts to God. I like my sin. I like being my own God. I like calling my own shots. I like religion. Because in my pride, in my flesh, I can feel really good about myself. Out of the heart, that's what's going to speak. A good man with good treasure of his heart, he brings out good things. And an evil man, he, out of his heart, will bring out evil things. So the words from the lips are evidence of the condition of the heart. And evil words indicate an evil heart. So it's the sin committed in the light of this great evidence. These men, they had seen Jesus doing his thing. They saw Christ's miracles, and yet they hardened their hearts against him. Why is this man loving on sinners? Why is he healing people? So it is so willful here, this persistent unbelief and final rejection of Jesus Christ. Um, adultery is not unpardonable, okay? The woman caught in adultery, right? Murder, can that be forgiven, guys? Absolutely. Moses murdered a man. David murdered a man. They were both forgiven. But when it comes to a person who persists in rejecting Christ and comes to the place where his heart is so calloused when it comes to the concern of their final eternal destiny, <laughs> it's too late. It's too late. So verse 33, either make the good tree and its good fruit or fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Okay. I'm starting to get to that age in life that people I've known for decades now are starting to pass. Okay. Uh, even the last couple of weeks, knew a couple of people who've died. Didn't know them that well, but I knew them. Are they with Jesus or not? Don't know. Hope so. They professed, you know. But I love when you see fruit in people's lives. Like, hey, out of the boundaries of the heart, the mouth's going to speak. Like, hey, every time I talk to that guy, we're always talking about Jesus. Always just sharing what God's doing, you know. I, I like that fruit. I like when I see people loving and serving and just doing it unto God, you know? It's good fruit. We don't know each other's hearts. We don't really know, you know? Um, but that's why God is speaking here so clearly and straightforwardly with us. You see these Pharisees' assessment of Jesus' power, they're true, you know, really brought out their true nature here. Like the fruit of a tree, their actions indicate their evil intent here. So if you look at verses 33 to 35, the tree is more of the issue here than the fruit. You guys get that? We like to see the fruit, but the thing that really matters is what type of tree are you? 
That's the thing that really matters because it's the source from which that fruit comes from. So Jesus says, look at the fruit of my ministry and see that it's a good tree. Okay, I'm a good tree. Verses 36 and 37, okay, these words, it says, The heart betrays itself through the mouth. That which is in the well comes up in the bucket, guys. Whatever's in there, it's going to come out. And sometimes we can see really what's in our heart when we go through some hard things in life, when we're being challenged. Like, whoa, that's what's in there. Yeah, and that's where we can cry out, God help. <laughs> Change my heart. So verse 34, we can hide our bitterness. We can hide our lack of compassion. We can make ourselves look pretty good. We can disguise hostility under a cloak of religiosity, right? Um, we can even be rigorously separated from all uh, what we would call cultural sins. But when our reactions and our words reveal this pharisaical-like mindset, contempt for men or women who God loves, our ungodliness is revealed. He will reveal that. So, Pharisees, again, that means to be separate. These guys were separated, right? But in the wrong way. The religious conservatives of the day. We read about Sadducees in the Bible. They would be the liberals, the uh, liberal uh, religious dudes of the day. Um, rationalists of the day. So these two groups were serpentine in their motives, okay? Viperish in their tempers. So they were called a brood of vipers and offspring of snakes, you little rattlers, baby rattler. You know, <laughs> like, I love Jesus. Verse 37, so he says, your words express a common teaching. Really, that was among that first century rabbis, okay? The words, not simply the deeds uh, vindicate or condemn a person, but really what they were saying also. Okay, because we have a lot of people who, hey, they look like they got a lot of good fruit, but if they're denying Christ, oh, you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know? um, so it's one of those things, it's really speaking to the heart of the gospel. It's not just about being good or bad, it's not about what we can do for our righteousness. That's the beauty of the gospel, guys. We're forgiven, we're declared righteous by him. Declared, not earned, not due, declared. You see, this section has been all about the source of Jesus' power. Okay? So what I'd like to do is turn to John chapter 5 with you guys. And let's look at one last place as we wrap up this morning where Jesus really proves his case. Okay? Five ways to prove that he is the Messiah, the Son of David, the Savior of the world, the only one who could forgive sins, God Almighty himself. We're going to look at verses 31 to 47. We're going to look at five witnesses together. He says in verse 31 of John 5, if I wear witness of myself, my witness is not true. You guys ever feel that way with people? I do. You're telling me how great you are, how good you are. You know, it's just like right there, something's to, anyways. You guys get the point? And that's, that's what Jesus is saying here. Who cares what I would just say about myself? You know, let's, let's find some witnesses. So verse 32, there's another who bears witness of me. 
And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he was born witness of the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and the shining lamp. And you were willing for a time to rejoice in that light. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me. And the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come from my fa- or in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek to honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will, believe, how will you believe my words? So you guys see why we turned here? Okay, Jesus lays this out beautifully. Verse 31, I bear witness of myself. My witness is not true. So it's not that it's false at all if you would have done that, but it wouldn't have been validated as a testimony. You guys remember Deuteronomy 19.15? There needs to be at least two or three witnesses okay, to make it so. So how do you prove your case? Well, you need witnesses. So five, just in this passage in John, are introduced okay, to verify his claims. So imagine yourself this morning as a juror. Any of you guys ever have to do juror duty? Okay, a couple of you guys. Cool. Um, so imagine yourself as a juror and Jesus is on trial okay, um, as the defendant. And Jesus, you can call your first witness to the stand. So the first witness would be who? God the Father. Look again, verse 32. There's another who bears witness of me, right? And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. And then verse 37, And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. And you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because he or whom he sent, him you do not believe. So it's really cool if you look into the Greek here. This word for another is another of the same kind. Alas, you guys can write that down. A-L-L-O-S. It's the same one that's used by John later in chapter 14, 16. When I send another, the Holy Spirit, okay, he is like me. They were tripping out that he was going to be leaving. I'm going to send another that's just like me. Why is he just like him? Because the three are one, guys. If 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God. And then there's the word uh, heteros, H-E-T-E-R-O-S. Okay, that's what Paul would use in Galatians chapter uh, 1 in verses uh, 6 and 7 where he calls him out of another kind of gospel, a different kind of gospel that was being preached. Okay, so you have those two different words used. So here Jesus is making it clear, hey, no, it's the same kind. Okay, it's not a different kind. It's the same kind here. And it bears witness. Again, in the Greek, it indicates that it's a continual thing going on. The Holy Spirit is continually bearing witness to the fact that I am the Savior of the world. I am the Messiah, the Son of David. Okay, So the Father continues to testify to the claims of Christ. At Jesus' birth, the Father announced his arrival, right? He sent prophets. He sent angels. Even a star appeared. I think, how cool is that? So we see at Jesus' baptism, okay, was the father there? Absolutely. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's my son. Okay? And then later in Jesus' life, the father reaffirms uh, his own testimony at the transfiguration, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then the ascension. The father was in all of those affirming the claims of Christ. Cool. Pharisees didn't want to have anything to do with it. So a second witness is called. We got one witness down. Let's talk about John the Baptist. Look at verse 33. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth, yet I do not receive, or yet I do not receive um, testimony from man, but I say the things that you may be saved. And he was the burning and the shining lamp that you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. So John comes on the scene and he's called to the stand, otherwise known as the burning and shining lamp. See, heat in the heart, light in the mind. So important. You guys understand that both are needed. Okay, We need to believe on Jesus Christ. That's a conscious choice. Okay, Do you believe? It's a decision to be made. And when we do that, God comes into our heart. We really bow the knee like, hey, I believe what's being said about these claims of Jesus. I believe he is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one's going to have eternal life. No one's going to get to the Father except through him. So it's both that are needed. Catch this, Jonathan Edwards from his uh, religious affections wrote this. He said, there must be light in the understanding as well as in the fervency of heart. For if the heart has heat without light, there can be nothing divine or heavenly in the heart. On the other hand, where there is light without heat, such as stored with nations of speculations, but having a cold and unaffected heart, there can be nothing divine in that either. Okay, They're linked together, guys. And then Jesus says in the second part of verse 35, they were willing to listen to John for a time. Have you seen Christians that would come around for a time? Hey, well, I don't know if they're really Christians, but they got excited about the claims of Christ. I want to know more. I'll read, I'll study a little bit, but then they just walk away. It's like, what happened? I don't think the heart and the mind were engaged together. So, 
the light they liked, okay? And it was the heat that drove them away. Okay, we love the scriptures, and I think people do walk away. Hey, I love coming to church here. This is good stuff, the word of God. But some people hang around a little while, and they're like, whoa, this is getting too hot. This is, this is getting real for me. I'm getting burnt. I want out. Um, look at the third witness with me, Jesus' own works. He says in verse 36, but I have greater witness than John's even. For the works which the Father has given me to finish and the works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So the defense now moves from verbal now to visual. Look, see what's going on, guys. You can't deny it. <laughs> it's happening. Exhibit A. Check out these miracles, right? He already turned uh, wine or water into wine there in Cana, okay? Um, he healed the governor officials, you know, son from a long distance. That's pretty darn cool. And then he restored a paralytic, and there's more to come. Okay, we're about to see the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is going to walk on water. How cool is that? Okay, he heals a blind man. He's even going to raise Lazarus from the dead. How can you deny these things? So, his works testify. Also, number four, the fourth witness would be the scriptures themselves. Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures. It's one thing I love about Freedom Fellowship. We're just going through the word of God, and it's beneficial. It is fruitful. We search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are which testify of me. They're all about him. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, you don't receive me. If I had come in another's name, him you would receive, or if another did. And then verse 44, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek to honor that which comes from the only God? So to search, you search the scriptures, you investigate. There's so many people that never pick up a Bible. They're not investigating the claims of Christ. They have some stupid, you know, philosophy out there that they've clung to or were taught and this is why this is a good reason for me not to believe you know shame on you pick it up the claims of christ either he's legit or he's a liar like it's one or the other either he is god the savior of the world or he's not we live in america everyone's going to be selling celebrating christmas in a few weeks from now how can we have this biggest greatest holiday of the year and most people never actually looked into the claims of why we even celebrate christmas like oh that's just nice for those christians and yeah jesus the savior of the world really do you really believe that have you checked out his claims have you actually asked the hard questions and i love when people do you guys can think about how many of the apologists we have out there today they were atheists trying to disprove god and they begin investigating what happens. Oh, bummer. It's all true. <laughs> there really is a God. There's evidence everywhere. The facts point to Jesus as being God. And he alone is Savior. Now I have to repent and give my life to him because I know too much. And I think that's the reason why people don't search to begin with. Or they're searching for other motives. Okay, And they're looking at the scriptures as they are investigating 
through their lens are never humble enough and open enough to actually receive what it literally is telling us. So this corresponds to search investigating uh, to the uh, Hebrew technical term used by the rabbis for studying the scriptures. You search the scriptures. So this answers the question, is it possible to study the Bible without finding spiritual life? Absolutely yes. The answer is yes, guys. I know people right now that are studying scriptures. They're trying to disprove God, coming up with excuses. Um, what's lacking? You know, actually, I got a literally five minutes before service. Hey, I got a Bible question. You know, here's a brother I haven't had fellowship with or talked scripture with probably in about 14 years. And he just happened to, you know, I'm kind of excited. You didn't even get to read the whole message. It came in two parts and stuff. But I'm just like, here, he had some questions. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what it all entails. But it's one of those things I just caught the heading of why is the Old Testament God wrath, the New Testament God, you know, all about peace and love, you know? So I'm kind of excited to dig into the message and get into it. But it's one of those things, at one time, I knew he was into the Word of God. And I know if he would have continued to seek, I mean, it's totally the same God, you know? The God of the Old Testament, exactly the same God of the New Testament. He's always been loving and merciful and gracious, and even in his wrath, you know? We have Jesus this morning, brood of vipers! You're the New Testament God, knock it off! No! You know? And stuff. And if you think Jesus is all New Testament, all about just love and peace, man, he's going to come back. Read the end of the book. You know, he's not going to come as a little precious babe in a manger. He's coming back to kick some butt. Okay? That's the God of the New Testament. There is going to be wrath there, but he also is very merciful. And if you read the book of Revelation, he wants none to perish, guys. He wants people to repent, to turn to him that they may have forgiveness in eternal life. And that's why God is harsh at times, is because he's wanting people to turn. Look at our nation, okay? We go through little things. I wish we were going through a whole lot more. You know, I'm still amazed. I remember when 9-11 happened. You know, it's really not that long ago, but church were packed for weeks after that, just because a few people died. Let me tell you what, there's a whole bunch of people dying all the time that are going to hell for all time, which is a lot worse than a building getting hit by a plane. That's the reality. But we don't seek unless something in our context hits us in a way like, oh, let's consider eternity. <laughs> let's look to God. We need to do it. So what's lacking then? Okay. Well, any who are not willing to come to Jesus in relationship. So you can search the scriptures. If you're not willing to come to Jesus, what's the point in searching the scriptures then? They're all about him. See, God's word was not truly abiding in them, and God's son was not the object of their faith. It's easy to get caught up in the technical, peripheral, superficial stuff, you know, in the Bible, and people want to argue that or cling to those things. You know, it's kind of like a, it's easy for a lawyer to become enamored with the uh, intricacies of, of the law, you know, and never develop a heart for justice. Oh, look at the law. Look at how it works. But they'll never care about justice. You know, I'll defend the most crooked people in the world and get them set free. You know, where's the heart of justice? I'd be just like, <laughs> anyways, doesn't matter what I'd be like. The point is, if you look at a doctor, okay, 
Um, I know doctors, they, they love to study, I think. They go to school forever. They better like school and study. But a lot of them, you know, I've had some doctors that are totally in like to the latest medicine or newest machine that's out there for a surgery, but they don't have a whole lot of compassion. <laughs> you, know? you know, you can have that. And the thing that's, it comes back to the same with us. You can have someone that's serious about studying. You have a student who is uh, studying the scriptures regularly, digging, and they can become enraptured with exegesis and want nothing to do with Jesus. Um, carrying out, you know, on a love affair with the printed page rather than the person of Jesus Christ himself. Chuck Swindoll said this, the Bible was given not simply as a legal document or a self-help book, but as a love letter. And it is a letter, or and if that letter doesn't draw this irresistibly to Jesus, then it is possible that we, like the prosculatural Jews, do not have his word abiding in us. And I think that's why we love the word of God so much here at Freedom Fellowship. We love Jesus. You know, if you want self-help, you can go to the church down the road. You can get rich at that church. Um, but the thing is, when you love Jesus, you understand the sweetness of his word. You know, it's all about him. It all points to him. We grow to know him more through his word. It's beautiful. And then the fifth witness will wrap up here. We have Moses. Look at verse 45. And do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus now turns this courtroom, the courtroom tables here and he points his finger at his accusers. I love what's going on. Okay, you're calling me to the stand. No, you guys are really the ones on trial here. So a legal technical term to bring charges in the court. See, Jesus pulls his trump card here, the ace from the deck of all the Jewish heroes. Moses, <laughs> your guy, you love him. Yeah, he talked about me. <laughs> he told you guys all about me. You see... There's four reasons why Moses. Let me lay these out real quick. One, he was the founding father of Judaism. Secondly, he spearheaded the Exodus. Thirdly, he gave them the law. And fourthly, guys, he was looked at with reverence. So he brings Moses to the table. Here's another witness, guys. So the verdict, the defense rests. Okay? You can't go through these things and reject the claims of Christ if you're honest, logical, fair. You can't do it. The evidence all speaks to him being who he said he was, that he alone is Savior, he alone can forgive. So the defense rests, and as a member of the jury, you must deliberate, you must weigh in the evidence. It's a sobering decision. It's quite literally a matter of life or death. Your life or your death. Let's stand to our feet, please.
Father, we are grateful this morning again for your word. And it really is sobering. There are so many that you love, that you laid your life down for. God, you shed your blood. You were brutally beaten and pinned to a tree with nails so they could be forgiven. God, we are sorry, Lord, that we don't seek. We're sorry that we're a people, Father, that give lip service, but our heart never really desires. God, for us who have received the truth of these claims, who've bowed our knees to you, Father, help us to be good light to those that don't believe. Father, that we would give it opportunity to explain the scriptures to others. People need to hear the good news. And we are so thankful, God, that you have given us much. We have so many resources today. We have open doors and freedoms to enjoy sharing right here in our own backyard. Help us to do that well this Christmas season. God, and help us, we know our hearts can get bent so easily. We don't want to be hardened to your spirit in any way. Father, help us to yield, to stay humble, to be teachable. And I thank you so much, God, that you're not messing around, that you've spoken plainly, black and white. And I would ask, Lord, for those that haven't bowed their knee, haven't received you as their Lord and Savior personally, that are not all in, that they would cry out to you. They would ask you to forgive and to save them personally. And we thank you that's your heart, Lord, for all people. You so love this world. Thank you so much for being so patient, so kind despite us. You truly are a good God. And Jesus, we are thankful for all that you did, all that you said. Thank you for our brother Matthew taking the time to pen down these things in this gospel. This is good stuff. And give us opportunities to share with others Lord, the things we're learning and taking in. We ask that in your name. Amen.